Be the best coach you can be. Welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm the head coach, Dave Clark, bringing you hints and tips from the soccer community. On the podcast today, we've got Bill Stara. He's the education director at the Broomfield Soccer Club over in America. Hey, Bill, it's great to have you here. Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, the opportunity to chat with you about soccer, I mean, couldn't be better. I, I read, um, I noticed on your LinkedIn that uh, sports psychology is, uh, is one of the things that uh, you, well, you, you do. Um, is, that, is that a big part of being a director of uh, education? I think it is because I feel it's important that if you are going to be into coaching, you have to know who your audience is. Whether you're going to be a coach of coaches or a coach of players, if you don't know who you're dealing with, <clears throat> the ability to get your message across is probably going to take you longer. But as you perfect your craft or the art form, so to speak, it's just a little bit easier to make people feel at ease, find out what their needs are, and communicate your message a little bit easier. Right, sure. And so, so um, that, that's in relation to the coaches. So, does does that also encompass uh, how the, how a coach works with players, or or is that something different? Is that something that you would you work with? Because I mean, you educate the coaches to work with players. Yeah, I think you know we get a lot of coaches that have the knowledge base as far as soccer, but when it comes down to now them working with players, they may excel at working with a sixteen-year-old. But now when they've got to go down to a nine-year-old, it's just a different skill set that if they don't have, they're going to feel frustration. The player's probably going to feel frustration as far as, you know, why is this kid as active as he is and he's not focused on me? That comes back to us as coaches of how can we be the most effective person in communicating and making that experience for that kid the best experience that they have regardless of their age. Sure, right. So, and does that is that also um, encompassing uh, how a coach motivates individuals? Because I assume that if you're under six or if you're under uh, sixteen, that the motivation is massively different for your players. Yeah, I, I, you know, the days of yelling at kids and you know, kind of belittling them, that's gone by the wayside, thank goodness. But you know, how do you actually interact with a nine-year-old to show them? this is the proper way to do things opposed to a 16 year old where you might ask okay was that really your best effort today that you gave me out on the pitch instead of me ripping into a kid if you actually get a chance to know them and ask them questions like that I think that you get much more out of them and plus they understand and start to feel your best interest is them and once kids understand that you're there primarily for them to be successful that they'll give you the world sure Sure. Yeah, and that goes that um, I because I, I know I mean I've been coaching for about twenty years, and I know that uh, w when I first started out, that that motivation for me as a coach was uh, you know you've got to win. So yep. and, and then after you know when you've been doing that for a, a couple of years, you, you do realise that um, the winning because is, is is totally separate from the development. Yep and, and um, the way that the players relate to you and how you... It's almost like a life skills thing, isn't it? That Absolutely. You, that you have to deal with them like that. And, you know, I've learned a lot from my wife because being able to communicate with your wife or, you know, your significant other, it teaches you a lot that, you know, if you come back to kids that, listen, the winning is secondary to your development, but we're here to compete today. And if we do compete, 
and if you give it your best ability, and if I've prepared you well enough, the winning will be a byproduct of all of that. But, you know, just changing the terminology of how you approach it, I've learned over the years you get a lot more out of players, and they start to buy into what you're selling because the main thing is for them to be successful. Yeah, sure. So when you're, so do you, are you still coaching? Do you, um, do you actually coach some of the teams or are you coaching the coaches as it were? Um, within the club that I'm currently yeah. in, in Broomfield, Colorado, yeah. I primarily coach the coaches, but I will get on the field and actually train the kids and then I'll sure. turn them over to the coaches um, for the weekend. Sure. So, you know, dealing with the adult learner, dealing with kids, you've got to kind of change the hat. Yeah. Um, based on that but yeah I think it's still important that you do have an actual ability to get on the field with the kids because if you don't constantly hone that craft you start to lose it yeah no I totally agree with you because um, uh, from my point of view I've coached all different age groups and at the moment I'm back doing under nines and um, I've, I've worked uh, last, last season I was doing under 16s and I'm back to under nines and uh, I was talking to someone this morning about how um, we were playing a game um, the last week and with the under nines, they, they took a shot and the goalie, the opposition saved it. But the ball, they said, had gone over the line. Now, the referee, obviously, he's not going to give it because he couldn't see. Right. But, yeah, but I can t with the under nines, <clears throat> the minute I saw in their faces, it had gone over the line, you could tell. And they were there nearly in tears. And it's like if the ball goes out for a throw in, if, they, if it's not theirs, they run away. Well, yep. with the under-16s, I would have probably thought that's not gone over the line. Because, um, so how do, you, how do you work with your coaches then to, to the, with the different age levels? I mean, assume with under-16s, you'll have travel teams and, and, yep. and recreational teams. Is it, is it different? Is the coaching different? Yeah, I, I think... They have to all be themselves. They can't be Bill Starer or somebody else. They have to be themselves. But now how you deal with scenarios at practice where, you know, do players have the ability to figure out or solve the problem themselves? Do they look at you as a coach on the sidelines? Are you constantly walking up and down, you know, the arms folded? Yeah. Are you excited? Or, okay, listen, guys, however the referee makes that call, it's out of our hands. We can't change it. So how do we deal with it? Even if it's an adverse situation where we know it crossed the line, but he didn't give us the goal, okay, do we complain about that for the next five or 10 minutes or can we just get on with it? And I think a lot of that comes from the coach and his long time development of being with those kids and how do you handle that at practice? Do you put them in stressful situations at practice at U16 so that they learn how to deal with the stress? Yeah, yeah. That that um, and that kind of comes around to. Um, do you? Um, how do you discipline? Do you, do you? Is discipline part of your? You educate? Do you? Do you? Um, if say someone doesn't turn up to practice and they come to the game the next day. I mean, I had someone who missed three practices in a row, and but he came to the game each yep. week. Now, head coach at the club's like to me that's not acceptable so then it but so I so I, I turn around to him and say well what's advice do you give me for disciplining him and then it's down to you Dave you know so yep. um, do you advise your does the club have a policy for that well I think clubs will have policies and I think that that's critical but I also think it's a question of holding kids accountable that they understand okay if I'm going to miss training I've got to let the coach know and I should probably tell him what's the reason for that 
And I think if you do that ahead of time, at preseason, at the meeting, not only with the parents and the kids, you don't have problems down the road. Because, you know, if I got a kid that's not showing up all week and he hasn't contacted me, eh, he's probably going to sit most of the time on Saturday. But, you know, if I get reasons, well, listen, you know, I had to take care of my little brother and sister because mom and dad had to work late or I had to work on a time, as long as they let me know, then we can discuss that with players. But it's important that I see so many coaches don't do, they don't hold their kids accountable. Not in a mean way, but I think in any organization, as long as you're honest with people and transparent, mm -hmm. they can buy into the standards and the accountability. Yeah, yeah, sure. And um, does that also relate to <clears throat> turning up late to training, turning up full kit and all, and all that? Because um, it's what, turning up, and, and I think that this also goes back to your, your psychology uh, experience because it's, when, when you have new coaches, I tend to find they, the first thing they ask me is, what do I do when they all turn up? Yep. Because, because they've been told you've got 10 seconds. These, these are you know, under sevens, under eight. You've got 10 seconds to talk to them, otherwise you've lost them. Right. And, so, and they're saying to me, well, the first 10 seconds, I've got four or five of them. I'm trying to get them to actually turn and listen. And I, I think that, 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 I mean, that does come with experience, but how do you, do you educate the new coaches into saying, well, this is how you, this is what the session starts like, this is how you get their attention? Is that yeah. something that you work with? Yeah, you know, you've got to fill their coach's toolbox with um, some little gizmics or gizmos. At seven, eight, nine, and 10, the kids have no control over whether they get there on time or late. That's all up to mom or dad. But when they do get there, you know, we found is if you put them into playing small-sided games, so as two kids show up, we're playing one-on-one. -on -one. Sure, yeah. Four kids show up, we're playing so that kids actually want to get there on time because why? They're playing. You know, they're not listening yeah. to a coach lecture them for the first five minutes or doing, I hate to use it, drills instead of activities. Yeah. But if we start playing games or we have a miniature tournament that – you started at week one and you know we're gonna finish it at week four and I'm, I'm gonna keep tabs as far as how you're doing. Those are the types of things that will entice kids to get there. And then when they get in the car, they can yap at mom and dad as, oh, you gotta get me there early tomorrow because you know I'm playing on so-and-so's team. Um, yeah. Those are the types of things that I think if we give the coaches and we help them understand that, you know, Johnny's late because Johnny's mom gets off work 10 minutes before practice. He's always going to be late. Okay, how do we deal with that? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's a struggle because we all expect to have, you know, the 12 kids there at 4 o'clock and we're going to run our iron 15-minute session yeah. and it's all going to be great. And that's not reality. No, no. So, <clears throat> so do, you, do you have problems, with, not, not problems with parents, but do you, have, do you talk to parents, do you educate parents in, 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 in their role within the club? Yeah, you know, we'll do a lot of things. Um, for example, we ran a futsal league here over the, um, the wintertime that as the kids were playing, you know, I would ask the parents to come off to the side and we would address things every week. So I think the better job that you do as far as educating parents, the less problems you're going to have. You're always going to have problems. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I think the more things that you can address with them and explain the rationale why, they may or may not agree with it, but they at least now understand it and they can live with it. And the parents that don't agree with it and don't want to buy into it, yeah, 
they're probably going to go to a different club, and that's okay because if that better, if that other club better meets their needs, okay, so yeah. be it. Yeah, because um, because I sometimes we have uh, we always laugh about the car journey to and from to and from the yes. game. Uh, it's dreadful. Yeah, because I, you know, I have players who turn up and <clears throat> they'll will they they will already have been pumped up into the fact that you know this this they, they want to score goals they yep. want to do this so they come out and uh, that's where again uh, the psychology comes in, isn't it? Because you you you're bringing them into your yeah. into your thing, and I I always try to you know diffuse the situations that they have by asking them about what they've been doing and how you know a couple of couple of words to them about what they did at training or what they did the other week just to get that that car journey mentality out of their head yeah and I think that that's important I mean you know I was a soccer parent also and I was a dad coach for a while and I tried to make a conscious effort that when my son got into the car after practice there was no discussion about soccer unless he brought it up and asked me questions otherwise it's you know we're going out to eat or what are you getting when are you going to get your homework done just because you hear so many horror stories and you see that, that um, you just try to avoid it. Yeah. But, you know, if he would bring something up to me, then we'd discuss it. And it's, okay, what do you think? You know, how do you think that the training session went today? Did you give your best and try to let them talk and just listen? Because yeah. out of the mouth of babes, you learn a tremendous amount. Yeah, no, no, that, that's absolutely true. And so, and just going back to that point you were making about uh, when they do first turn up and you use and you use games, um, is that would that be part of the coaching philosophy that you you actually play? Say, you know, so everyone's moving. You don't, you're not, they're not turning up and standing in lines. And was that would that be part of your of the philosophy of the training? Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be on a number of national staffs, and I'm with U.S. Soccer, and, you know, the play-practice-play model yeah. I think is great because when kids do come, we're putting them into an environment just to play, just to play. I see so many coaches, you know, I kind of laugh at it because at nighttime I will walk my dog on my days off, and I have to walk quickly past some practice areas because it's so dreadful of kids standing in line, and I go... My kid could never do that. Mm. But at least if you now put him into a play opportunity or an environment, if you've honed your craft as a coach, you can easily turn that then into an activity to teach them what you want before you come back into the play mode. So, you know, me getting them to play as soon as they get there is critical because kids sat in class all day yeah. in school. He doesn't want to sit and listen to another person for another 30 minutes. So get them to play. Yeah, so that, and that that all um, that works into the the lifestyle, the soccer being part of a lifestyle skill, doesn't it? Where you're developing, uh, you're developing the player within your team, but you're also developing him to come, when he comes out of that school environment, yeah. he's going straight into a, a game or into a thing. I, I think that that is a, a really important part of um, the of, of co the coaching education. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. One, one thing I, um, I, I would like to know: what, when does your season start and end? Because it's totally different to England, isn't it? We, because yeah. I come over here and say, "Oh, your season's this," and they're all going, well, "Who's told you that?" And you go, "Well, so and so in Texas," and they're like, "Well, that's a totally different, that's a totally different um, season to us." Right. So, what, when, when does your season run? In Colorado, we'll start in August and we'll go up through, um, you know, Thanksgiving. In the winter time, I'd like to say that it's off, but we run a number of different activities, you know, futsal leagues or things like that for 
the players that want to continue to play the game. Yeah. And then whenever we start again in the springtime, it's usually the end of February and we go up to um, you know Memorial Day at the latest. And then the summertime, um, there are activities, but for the most part, the average player, they need and deserve some time off to go do other things yeah. that I think is critical so that they can recharge their battery so that when you see them again in the fall, they were really biting at the bit to get back out on the field. Yeah, yeah. And do they, and I assume um, in England we would play, uh, say, three, three different sports. So we would play cricket in the summer and they would play rugby and uh, soccer in, yep. in, in thing. And um, a couple of years ago, I had my, one of my under-10s teams, I had two, two rugby players in the team under-10 and they were playing soccer. Um, now they, they brought... Uh, a total different skill set because uh, if we got a free kick, boy, they could hit the. They, I mean, we scored so many free kicks from the yep. fact that the two rugby players would come and they would, um, they would, you know, they would get them to take the free kicks, take them to goal kicks, anything like that because they they had learned through rugby a different way, you know, or a yeah. built away. I mean, do you do you find that other sports help? Oh, I think playing multiple sports is a tremendous asset to kids. Um, my only concern is that parents trying to play two or three sports at the same time becomes a struggle because yeah. now it's putting a child in an awkward situation. But I think, you know, playing basketball or hockey or going skiing during the winter time is fantastic. You know, in the summertime, if you're a swimmer or you're, you know, playing baseball or softball, I think it just helps you develop not only as an athlete but as an overall person that you get to interact with different people, different coaches, different sports, and then eventually the child's going to find their way as far as what they want to gravitate to. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's good because I, um, like I say, I, I really believe that the way that they develop, they just develop different skill sets, yeah. they, which they take into uh, their the, the football, into their the soccer, and uh, and they move on that way. Um, I, I, I would also like to to just ask you with within your club um how how does the hierarchy of the teams work then if the if the travel teams that are they the, the main uh, do you have travel teams at, at the younger age groups or is it always the older just the older age groups? um we start travel out in colorado at u11 all right although our u9s and u10s because um, i'm from the east coast here they would be considered travel teams also Right, because they do travel to play other clubs and things like that. To me, recreational or in-house teams, they stay in-house. And we do that from U4 up to, I think it's U15. But there are some people that want a higher level of competition, yeah. and so they move into the competitive <clears throat> level, which officially starts in Colorado at U11. Right, yeah, because that, um, that's something that we... Because you travel quite distances, don't you? Quite, a, you know, your yeah. You can travel. Um, you know, if you're in Denver and you're going to go to the Western Slopes, you're looking at maybe three hours. Yeah. Um, which I think, I think if the drive time is longer than the game time, you're going too far. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, certainly in England, we uh, we have for the parents who won't, won't wouldn't travel anything more if it's 20 minutes they're like <coughs> you know this is my saturday yep. you're yeah, taking exactly. o- you're taking over so so anyway um that's brilliant can just um as a final thing 
how did you get into the actual coaching then? Is it something that you, d- you did when you were uh, younger? Did you play football and, or soccer and then move into? Yeah, you know, I, um, I played soccer in college and then, you know, was um, going into the indoor professional league way back right. when, uh, um, yeah. MISL. And when I finally got released from that team, then I started to still play semi-pro, but I really got into the coaching part because that now started to fascinate me as far as where it could go in a journey. And so, um, you know, I've been coaching ever since and, you know, what a great opportunity because it's given me relationships and friendships that reach across the world. Yeah. So, you know, you can't, you can't beat it if you're in it for the right reasons, which is to enjoy the game and enjoy the people. I was talking to Bill Stara, the education director at the Broomfield Soccer Club, and it's been a privilege to have him on here today. Thank you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. If you're interested in more information on soccer coaching, advice, activities or general guidance, go to soccercoachweekly.net.